As we continue this week, we are in Easter season, and uh, this season is a time where we talk about new life and new beginnings and old things becoming new, and we're going to continue in that vein today. Um, Obviously, we have a little different format, as we've got a table and some chairs up here. I've invited uh, Blaine Bartell to join me uh, this morning, and so I'm going to ask Blaine to come and and join me here this morning. Many of you may know of Blaine. He's been um, was in the Tulsa community for years and years in ministry. Uh, some of you may remember him on television, uh, Fire by Night, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, and has a real heart for student ministry and and uh, was kind of the, the impetus behind the 180 student ministry at, uh, at Church on the Move that has just become a real phenomenon in the culture here and uh, went on and we always say that they kind of built a youth building that's bigger than our campus here, um, but I'm not bitter, um, <laughs> just it's okay. Uh, anyway, he's done great ministry. In the last few years, he went to Dallas in the, in the Frisco area uh, and started Pioneer Church there, and it just took off and started growing. And, and uh, we're going to kind of hear a little bit of, of his story. He's been back to Tulsa now and is part of our church here and been fellowshipping with us. And, and so we're going to um, um, look a little bit at his story, get to know him a little bit um, today and what God's doing in his life. Had the opportunity over the last many years to to see God do amazing things in people's lives of restoration and renewal and, and new life. And, and uh, people have gone through incredibly difficult circumstances. I've seen God do amazing things. And so I am an absolute believer in, in the heart of God to renew us and to revive us and to refresh us. That uh, when we have things that are dead in our life, for those things to begin to come alive again. Those situations where we've stepped across the line and we've had a failure in our life, it's, it's his heart, even the power of conviction of the Holy Spirit is not to punish us and rub our nose in it, but it's to bring us back um, to him and back to his ways and his plans. And, and that is his sole purpose of, um, of loving us in that way, even when we get off, and we get off track. And so we uh, really believe um, in restoration. We also find that there are some significant things that we have to do to participate uh, to allow God to renew us. The first thing is we have to realize we need renewal, that we don't have it all figured out, that we don't have our act together, and we have to acknowledge this sense that I need God, that I, I need to change in my life. And, and without that, he will not force himself on us. Um, he kind of waits for us to, um, to come to him with that. Um, over the last 30 years of ministry, I've kind of developed a pretty good sniffer. I can tell when somebody walks in the office whether they're there or not, whether they've really come to the end of themselves and they're really t- ready to turn their life over to God in a greater way or whether they're still trying to manage it themselves and kind of handle it and do damage control and, and whether they're blaming everybody else on the planet for their circumstances or whether they're really ready. But I tell you, when when somebody is ready and when I sense that, there's something even this many years later, something comes alive in me. Something kind of um, is energized in me because I'm really excited because it's like I know what can happen now. I know what, what God can, can do in their lives. And I know if I'm that excited, I know God's got to be doing backflips <laughs> when, when we're ready for that um, in our life. 
And so, so first of all, we have to recognize we need that and begin to open our lives up for that. The second thing is that we have to acknowledge as a community here, because we really believe in restoration. We really believe in new life. We, we really believe in, in getting in the mud with each other because renewal is messy. Uh, this is not something that we just simply do a little formula and overnight we're fixed. Now, I realize we live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and what I just said was heresy, okay? Um, we, we would love for everything to be fixed overnight. We would love for it to be better. We'd love for A plus B to always equal C and to kind of come up with a formula. But the reality is that deep work in our life really is, is, is something that, that is pretty messy. We, we have this start and stop kind of thing. We start and we... We want to do right, and as Paul says, I want to do right, but I, gosh, I keep doing, <laughs> I keep doing wrong. And there's, is that, there's that internal struggle that happens in us that creates messiness. So as a community, if we want to be a part of renewal, we've got to get comfortable with messiness. We've got to be okay with each other's mess. Because how many can agree we all have some mess? We, we all, our lives are all a bit messy. Um, and we also acknowledge and recognize that this is a process that, Renewal and recovery and new life is a process. It's not something that just, again, happens instantly, but it takes time and, and uh, that we have to be consistent in what we're doing and we have to have um, patience and, and continue to have perseverance in our life. And so, so, um, so Blaine, tell us a little bit of, as we kind of step into this discussion, what, what brought you to Tulsa? This time, what actually even brought you to sanctuary, and and what's what's happening here in your life at sanctuary? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I guess uh, talking a few minutes, but going on four years ago, I uh, stepped away from church and ministry for uh, I didn't know how long a season that would be, but it, as it turns out, it was a pretty lengthy season, and uh, <clears throat> so I. Uh, as I stepped away from my church, uh, I eventually found my way here about six months ago back to Tulsa. And this is, of course, I spent so many years here and have so many friends here, my family, my parents, brother, sister, and, and uh, so it just felt like a good city to come back to. And uh, so when I, when I came back, I was not sure where to go to church, you know, given my circumstances at the time, and uh, so I, a uh, good friend that has kind of walked me through the last, uh, the last several years, uh, Ron Luce, I, I called Ron, and, and I said, Ron, you know, what do you think, where do you, see? and he said, well, have you, uh, have you ever heard of Sanctuary Church, Pastor Ed and Pastor Brent, have you heard of that church? I said, no, and he said, well, don't go there, whatever you do. And uh, so, no, he said... Uh, Thank you, Ron. Um, so he said, I, I think you would like it there. I think you would find it healthy and, uh, and safe and, and good. So, so you gentlemen were kind enough to meet with me, and we, we had uh, opportunity to connect, and you hear my story and my heart, and... And me get to know a little bit about what God was doing in this community, and I had a chance to come and attend. And uh, I got to say, when I walked in, I'd never seen church done quite like this. And uh, it was, over the last three years, it was, it was almost like a dream come true. This is kind of what I dreamed, the whole idea of connecting uh, the ancient and the modern and the reverence 
that I feel in this worship space and with uh, your your people, it, it just, gosh, it's exactly what I felt like I needed. And uh, I felt safe. I felt loved. I remember walking in uh, the first Saturday night I came in and and it took me 20 minutes to get from the front door to the seat because there were just so many people that were just like, hey, you're new here and who are you? And embracing and and uh so it just felt good and uh and of course the last several months as i've just moved in closer it's been even better so that's how i got here well you mentioned safe um to talk a little bit about your story and why safe was important to you well my story okay uh yeah, so- 40, 45 seconds to your story. <laughs> oh goodness so yeah, so I, I was saved when I was 16 and had a deep conversion, a deep uh, just, uh, I mean, I was, at the time, I was an atheist. I turned my back on God, and, and I was doing what a lot of 16-year-old kids were doing and partying and gave my life to Christ and <clears throat> got highly involved in the church and uh, graduated from high school, ended up here in Tulsa, and uh Began to serve here in a uh, in a local church, and like you said, we got involved in doing uh, student evangelism, and we did uh, we did the, the TV show Fire by Night, and I began to travel and speak and minister and do youth groups and conferences, and and it was really good. I mean, I was just doing what I love to do, but I found over I, I would say the, the first I don't know seven eight years of uh, ministry. I just began to kind of let my soul slip and that depth of relationship that I had with, uh, with Christ early on, just, I didn't take care of that. And, uh, I got away from scripture, even though I preached it, um, I kind of looked at the word for a message every week and, and I you know, I got away from prayer and, and, and then I think in my world, the, the kind of the church world that I was in, everything was, uh, at least the impression I got, it was very much performance-based and, you know, how many did you have and how big is this and how big is that? And I began to, I began to embrace that and, and I got weary. I just got very weary and I got uh, tired and uh, I allowed, I just allowed my soul to slip. And I remember in, uh, I was in Pennsylvania and I was speaking at a conference there and I remember I, I got home from speaking that night and I was so tired and uh, I was just like, oh, and I turned the TV on and started flipping channels and, you know. It's back in the day where there were like maybe 10 channels. <laughs> and uh, so I flipped channel, nothing was on. And then it just, this temptation came. And there was this adult box on the TV. And I thought, no. And then I got up again and no. And finally I got up and I hit that button. And that was, as it would turn out, literally the beginning of the end of my my life at that, at that time. And uh, I remember turning it off like 10 minutes later and just feeling this wave of shame and guilt. I felt like I was going to hell. I mean, I literally went to bed that night thinking I am going to break hell wide open. And 
is going to judge me, and I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm Christian, I'm in ministry, and I just looked at this, and my first inclination was just to hide. Like, I had seen so many, I guess, friends that, uh, or associates that had confessed that kind of thing that just lost everything, you know, and, and uh, I had this career and family and car payments and house payments and all these things, and I didn't want to bring shame in my family, my home, and so I thought, okay, God, your word is strong enough, you know, your, your power is great enough, I can beat this, I can beat this, and so I just began to pray and seek God and repent and ask God for help, and I think I went six months, and then it happened again. And then I went three months, and it happened again. It just seemed like that sin in my life just grew stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And it got to a place where I felt helpless. I would just be like, when is it going to happen again? I just, I could not beat it. And I was so angry. I, 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 I prided myself in being a winner, and I'd always found ways to overcome, and, and this was the one thing in my life. I could not win. I could not break its chains. And so I just kept trying, though. And, and after several years, a decade later or more, uh, you know, sin is this thing that just won't quit. It's like, I, I, I liken it to like a monster that just demands to be fed but wants more. And more and more. And finally, uh, I got in such a place of bondage and stronghold in my life in this area that I began to act out. Uh, And it wasn't just porn anymore. I began to act out. And uh, I was unfaithful in my marriage. And when that happened... The shame and the guilt and the pain just almost drove me deeper and further away from God. I was just like, God doesn't even love me. I mean, he is so far away from me. There is no help anymore. And I remember I'd wake up every morning, every morning, look in the mirror and just say, I hate you. I hate you. And I'd go to bed at night and repeat the same thing. I hate myself. And... I was just kind of like, God, what what am I going to do? And uh, so we finally moved to Dallas, uh, as you said, to pastor a church. And I remember when we moved to Dallas, I said, okay, I have got to get control of this thing in my life. I've got to get to control of this. I'm going to be a pastor, and people are counting on me, and, and my family's counting on me, and people, and people are giving to this. And so I said, God, I am going to quit And I literally, Brian, I just white-knuckled myself for a year. I mean, just like I'm just holding on for dear life, trying to get through each, not each day, but literally each hour of the day. And somehow I made it a year, but I was never free. There was never freedom. There was never, this is over. God is, it was just holding on. And finally... Uh, about a year later, I gave in to that temptation again, and when I did, it just snowballed. It just, like, almost gave up on myself. I just kind of said, I, I'm never going to beat this. This is just, 
And I tried to quit ministry. I remember I met with my wife at one point. I said, this is midway through the church in Frisco. I said, I, I want to quit. I just want out. Um, I, I can't do this anymore. And I, I, I wouldn't tell her why. Uh, but my plan was to quit, get out of the ministry, get in kind of a quiet, safe place where I'm out of the public eye and then, you know, confess and get help. And I don't know, I let myself, I let her, I let, I just got talked out of it. And uh, of course she didn't know and I wouldn't tell her what, what I was going through. So just kept going and, uh, and then a couple events happened during that time where it seemed to escalate the problem for me and the sin. I, uh, my oldest son, uh, Jeremy, attempted suicide and nearly died and it just broke me. Uh, and part of the reason he did was because of the alienation he felt from certain parts of the church world that he'd grown up in. and. And I was just so mad at God. I was mad at myself because I felt like I'd contributed to it. And I just got angry at the ins on the inside. And I began to distance myself from God as a pastor. I mean, I, I just, like, I didn't even know at that point if I really did even believe in God anymore. I was preaching every Sunday, but I doubted my faith every every week. And then... On the heels of that, I, I, I'd say probably six to nine months later, my middle son, Dylan, came to my wife and I at the time and told us that he was coming out and that he was gay and that he was embracing that life. And we had journeyed with him in counseling for that for several years. And he's given me permission to tell this story, but uh, it just broke me. And uh, I just lost it. I just lost it. And I just got reckless and angry at God. And I just said, honestly, I just said to hell with this. This faith doesn't work. And God doesn't work. And he sure doesn't work in my life because I knew what I was doing. And, uh, and finally, about a year after that, so still all along, still trying to handle this yourself. Oh, yeah. Trying to manage it. Yeah. Keep the right face and look and everything and yeah. willpower in it through. Yeah, trying. And the church is exploding. I mean, it's growing. We, you know, we went from three families to like 800 people in about two and a half years. And I'm just kind of looking at all this saying, this doesn't make sense either. Why is God blessing this? This is like... This is, you know, this is just me making this happen. So I, my, my doubts are escalating every day. And and finally, uh, it was up. Um, so something brought you to the end of yourself. Yeah, I got caught. Yeah. And uh, so I went and I met with my best friend who was also a trustee of... Uh, our church, Ron Luce, and I told Ron everything, and I just, we just sobbed for a couple hours, and uh, he said, well, Blaine, we need to kind of walk you through, uh, what do you want to do? I just said, I, I just want help, I just want out of church, out of the ministry, I just, I got to get help, and I want to, I, I need to do whatever I have to do to, to save my, 
my, my life and my family. And so we went back and we uh, called uh, a couple of our best friends uh, that came in from Tulsa to meet with uh, myself and Kathy and Ron and to, to disclose my life to Kathy. And so I did. And uh, it was uh, the most horrific moment of my life to tell my wife what I'd been doing and to see the uncontrollable sobbing. She would just, not just for an hour or two hours, but for days and days and days to see the pain that I put her through. And then to meet with my boys and to tell my three children who believed in me. And uh, although they'd seen parts of the church that they didn't like, that the church was still okay because dad was okay. Dad's church was okay. And now to have to tell them what dad was really like. And uh, so I met with Brock, my youngest. And when I got done telling Brock, he just looked up with tears and said, dad, get better. And then I told my son, my middle son, Dylan, who was the one that came out, and uh, I got halfway through my confession, and he just stood up, ran to me, started crying, and just hugged me and said, Dad, I'll never stop loving you. I believe in you. You're going to be okay. And then maybe the hardest of the three boys was my oldest son when I told Jeremy. And... I got done telling Jeremy, and I just saw this anger rising up on his face, and he got up, and he said, he said three words that have never been spoken in our house, I promise you that, in, in all of our, uh, our, our time, and uh, he just said, F, 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 as loud as he could, and then walked out, and didn't come back for a couple hours, and I, I just... I thought, I have so damaged my kids and my family. And it ended that uh, week with my parents coming. And uh, they didn't know what had happened. They walked in the door. And my mom and dad are here this morning somewhere. But they walked in the door and they said, we walked in and it just smelled like death. They, they could just tell something had died in this house and they were they were like what's going on and I sat down with them and I told them and I could just see the disappointment come over their faces and when I got done I just walked out and went out the backyard walked one mile through a creek because I wanted to get dirty and messy and unclean because that's how I felt and got to my church and walked in and found the associate pastor and I asked him for letterhead and he didn't know anything that was going on but I just wrote out my last words and I gave him this and I said uh, give this to Ron and he said well what is it I said just give it to Ron and I walked out in one of the busiest streets in our city there in North Dallas was right outside our church and I just walked out onto that freeway and I just 
dared God to take my life. And I just started walking at traffic. There was cars and trucks, and I was just, they're screeching and going. And I'm just saying, God, kill me. Finally, five police cars roll up and jump out and sirens and, and lights, and they pull out guns, and they put me to the ground. They put a knee on my back, handcuffed me, and cop throws me up against the, the, the car, and he says, what are you doing? And I just look back in a fog, and I said, I don't know. And he says, what do you do? And I just looked, I said, I pastor that church right there. <laughs> And he just kind of said, right. So eventually they took me home and they took all the guns out of my house. And they, uh, the next day, they sent me to Phoenix. And I went through this 30 days of counseling that I thought, well, in 30 days I'll be better. I found out that wasn't true, but I went through 30 days of counseling. So, so real quick, just before we lose this point, so... God in his grace lets you get found out. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you believe it's his grace because he loves you yeah. and he knew that what you were doing is going to kill you, right? Yeah. So it leads you to confession. So you now mm-hmm. confess. You know, scripture tells us to confess our sins one to another that we may be healed. And so you're finally, after 20 years of handling this yourself, you're getting in a position of, of doing that. And now all hell breaks loose um, because of, oh my gosh, I've just destroyed my family i've just you know what's yeah. going to go on here and so as you look back on that confession moment now it, it had to be confusing there a little bit so what did it lead you to then yeah it was because i did lose a lot my family lost a lot i mean i lost my marriage in the process i lost relationship and trust with my kids uh, i lost tons of relationships with friends i we pretty much lost everything we had financially because I was without work for so long after trying to figure out what am I going to do because I'm not in ministry and that's all I know to do. I've never done anything else. So there was incredible loss. And and I almost, I, I accepted it. I mean, I, I hated it, but it was like I felt like I deserved everything that I got and more. But then there was this incredible joy of confession. There was like for the first time, I mean, in 20 years, it was the first time I had told anyone. And I can't begin to explain what that felt like on the inside to finally know that I could at least reach out for help. And and so I was guided into this restoration process and I so remember you, so you didn't get fixed in 30 days it took like 45 yeah it took more than yeah. 45 <laughs> um, yeah so I they sent me to Phoenix and I meet with uh, one of the two top uh, addiction therapists in the country his name is Dr. Ralph Early 73 years old he's written all these books and so I tell him my story and and he looks back at me and he says Blaine I haven't heard a story quite like this and I honestly don't know if you will ever win this battle, is what he said. Now, understand, I am paying him $30,000 for a month out of my money. And he tells me he's not sure 
if I'm going to be able to get free. And I'm, I'm like, well, that's your job. You know, it's not my job. It's your job to get me free. I, I've been trying to do this for 20 years. So I'm expecting. And he said, Blaine, you have no idea the, the fight and the work and the commitment it is going to take over the long haul for you to be fully restored to health. And it was like he was goading me. It was like he was throwing down the gauntlet saying, what do you have, son? Mm. And I just said, okay, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I will listen. I will be humble. I will confess. I will throw myself at the feet of your community and say, I will do whatever it takes. And, and literally, I had to do whatever it took. Uh, there was reading, there was, I was in counseling for, well, I still am, but for the first year and a half, literally two to three times a week, three to three men's groups a week, celebrate recovery. I mean, I just, I read and I, and I had uh, accountability in my life for the first time and people who knew me backwards and forwards. Uh, I just threw myself into recovery and just asked God. And I can, I can tell you, you know, there's a lot of 12-step programs, and I went through a 12-step program, and it was incredibly helpful. But I can tell you that the tipping point for me in my recovery, everything was important. But the tipping point was the love and grace of God. When I began to experience his forgiveness and his love, that when I figured out that he had not given up on me, that somehow through all of my mess and my ugliness, that he still loved me. It was like, how can I not love him back? And I just fell in love with God like I'd never have in my life. And I, I love communion here. I've never experienced communion like I have here at sanctuary. And I was uh, taking the the bread, the cracker today, and I, I just put that in my mouth. And as I began to bite down on that cracker and I felt the crunch inside my head and, and feeling it, I just thought, that's what my sin did to Jesus. I mean, it just, it broke him. He was broken for me. He was wounded for my transgressions. With his stripes, I've been healed that without Christ, there would be no healing. There would be no recovery. And so... Each and every day, I just get up and I say, Lord, without you, I'm not going to get through this day. Without you, I'm not going to make it. I need you, and I thank you for loving me, and his love has changed me. But it has taken time. So what a difference between just willpower, mm -hmm. his personal willpower, yeah. and that releasing control of your life into his hands and saying, I need your strength. I need the your strength through the community. Um, night and day difference there. Yeah. Um, and it's what makes the difference, you know, but something in us fights that, you know, mm -hmm. something in us still wants to do it ourselves. We still want to fix it ourselves and protect the image, you know? Yeah. And so uh, obviously your life was broken apart to where, there's no fixing the image anymore, you know, and yeah. it really kind of forced you to do that. But that's what gave you life, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, I go back to that passage in Ephesians uh, 6, 1, you that are spiritual, restore that, that one that has transgressed and help to carry that one's burden for them in Christ. And that's, 
literally what happened for me. My confession enabled people to help to carry my burden of sin that I've been trying to carry on my own. And that word restore actually in its original context was used when it talked about in that day of healing broken bones. So when it says to restore, it's speaking of a severe break. And and that's what had happened in my life. And so, I, I you know, when you break a bone, I, I broke this arm when I was 16. And it, I mean, I broke it right in half. It just hung down. And there was this cast on it for nearly uh, right at six to seven months. And, and I felt like that's what had happened when I confessed is this wonderful community called the church. And God's people began to just wrap themselves around me like this cast. And I was set aside and I was immobilized and, and, and it was just healing came every day. And, you know, when you break something, it doesn't feel better the next day. I remember being in Phoenix and in the third week of counseling and I'm wanting to be fixed. Like I'm, you know, it's almost four weeks now and I, I need to walk out of here feeling better and whole and not a, in this addictive nature anymore. And I, so I'm in a counseling session with a female counselor and she is, you know, she's dressed a little bit, you know, well, she looked like a female. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> And I'm sitting here, and I, I finally stopped her. We got halfway through the session. I said, and I called her by name. I said, Brenda, uh, you know, it's three weeks in, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sitting here listening to you, but I'm fighting thoughts of lust towards you. And, like, why aren't I better yet? This is not good. You're supposed to be helping me. Not getting your money's worth. Yeah. And... She said, well, you better get over that because it's only going to get worse when you walk out these doors. And she said, listen, this is going to take time and your freedom is going to come incrementally as you continue to do your work. And so I get back to Dallas and I keep doing my work and they hooked me up with an amazing counselor there in Dallas that I began to see. But I remember, Brent, it was about nine months, ten months after my disclosure and God has just been doing this amazing stuff and I've been in community and going through counseling and reading and, and I am really starting to feel strong but I really haven't had a test for strength because everywhere I went I was surrounded I mean I just I had just I was in this cocoon all the time so my first trip out of uh, Dallas I was invited to go to be with a pastor friend in Palm Springs He's a very good friend. He just said, Blaine, we want you to come in. We want to love on you, and we, we, we would like you to maybe do some consulting with us behind the scenes, but would you come in for a weekend? I said, I'd love to. So I go in. So I have to fly into LAX, drive to Palm Springs. So as is my custom, when I'd go somewhere, as soon as I got there, I'd call in. I'd check in with my accountability, with my friends. And so I did my call in, got my rental car, start driving to Palm Springs, and as I'm pulling away from LAX, I, it's, it's dusk and it's getting dark, and I look up, and there are three in a row adult establishments. And back in the day, that would have been not just a temptation, but just like almost impossible to resist. And I remember driving by those places and just kind of looking up and looking down and saying, 
not even a, a draw anymore. Like, I know where that would take me. I know the pain that life brings. I know how devastating that is. And I remember just looking down and saying, it's not there anymore. Just kept going. I remember calling Ron and said, Ron, I just drove by this stuff and it had no draw. And I, I believe for the first time, this is not an addiction in my life. I feel like I'm free of it. And it's not that it's not a temptation, but it's it doesn't have me chained anymore. And so the key to that, though, Brent, was, as you know, in counseling, was you never just kind of let down your guard. You never kind of say, well, I'm okay. You walk with those boundaries every day, and you walk with that sobriety every day of knowing this is how I need to live today. This is from this moment on, this is the kind of boundaries I'm going to have, and these are the kind of decisions I'm going to make so that I never return to that life again. What, what, a, what a story of an expression of this unique relationship and discussion between Paul and, and the Lord, you know, Paul dealing with his thorn in the flesh, whatever that is. I think there's a reason that we don't know exactly what that is because we can all put our stuff in that story. Yeah. Um, if we knew exactly what it was, we'd all go, well, at least I don't have that thing Paul has, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, and saying, God, just take this away. And God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's such a strange statement, you know, this whole idea. He goes on and talks about he boasts in his weaknesses, is, which is just a weird statement in Tulsa, of all places. Because that, again, sounds like a bad confession, you know. And so... Um, but, but that's what you've described is you are on that plane, you called in, you made that accountability connections. You, you continue to do that. As we've talked, I see the consistency of things that you continue to do to walk this out in your life. And it's in that acknowledgement that, Hey, I'm, I'm a dependent creature. I have not been made to be independent. I am a dependent creature on God. That is the greatest place of strength in my life is to realize I cannot do this, but he can. And I'm going to invite him into those moments. And that's, that's where we get strength. This is an amazing story of that. Yeah. I think that has probably helped me the most is to realize that, yeah, he gets strong in our weakness if we allow him to. And uh, the other day I was, uh, I was with a man that I, uh, I'd been – he's a missionary, and he'd asked me to come in and help kind of redefine and reorganize some of his work. And, and, uh, so I'd spent about three different sessions with him and, <clears throat> and he, he finally said, Blaine, would you mind telling me your story? You know, I know that you got out of church for a season and what, what, what happened? And I said, no, I'd be glad to. And so I walked him through my story and I shared my weaknesses. You know, I said, this is, this is where God had to come into my life and prove himself strong, and he has, and here's where I am today. And, uh, and I said, you know, today, even though I went through divorce, uh, my ex-wife and I still have a wonderful relationship, and we're friends, and we care for each other, and we love our kids together. And I said, my boys love me today. 
I got a text from my oldest son who walked out the door that day. I got a text this week, and uh, he knew I was going to be here this morning. And he said, Dad, I'm so happy for you. And he said, I'm so proud of you. I am so glad to be your son, so proud of the work you've done. So I began to share this story with this man and just talk to him and say, you know, this is what God did in my life. This is the strength God brought into my life. This is his redemption and what he's doing. And as I finished sharing my story, I just noticed that he was starting to tear up. And he looked at me and he said, well, can I tell you something? And I said, well, sure. He said, when I was a teenager, I was abused by an older teenage boy in my school for two years straight sexually. He said, I was so afraid to tell my parents. I was so afraid to tell anyone. And I have not told a soul until this day for 20 years. And he said, I've struggled with uh, same-sex attraction ever since. I've never engaged in that behavior, but it has been a struggle in my life. I've struggled with shame and guilt and pain. And he said, Blaine, this is the first time in my life that I felt safe in telling someone because you've done far worse stuff than I've ever done. <laughs> and so I said, uh, gosh, thank you for sharing that, you know. And, and, uh, and so, man, it was so amazing to see in my weakness in that, in that moment to see God's strength come through into his life because I was able to pray for him, minister to him, connect him with a counselor, connect him with a pastor that was safe in his life that he could share that with and really get the help that he needed. And thankfully, he came to his confession before anything had really manifest in his life or he'd really made any bad decisions but it was just awesome to know that in all of our brokenness, and we all have broken parts of our lives, that when we do confess those things and we say, God, bring your strength in, that that strength and that comfort, God will always turn to comfort somebody else and to help somebody else. And so that's kind of the way I look at it today is, God, you know, I hate my past. I hate what I did. I regret every moment. I still feel the pain of it. I still see the ripples of the pain that it has caused in lives. But God, I know that you're going to use it to show your strength in the lives of others going forward. Amen. It's also, it's why it's so important if we really want to be a community of restoration and redemption, it's, it's why we have to be safe. It's why we have to recognize that we all have stuff that we don't ever allow ourselves to get in this position of, well, I'm, you know, my stuff is not that bad. And, 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 where we sit in judgment of others, but we realize that all of our stuff, you know, is is weakness, and and all of we are all limited, and and we talked last night um, before last night's service, and I was just curious on how he was feeling because this isn't just he's going into a church and talking to a men's group. This is now his community <laughs> that he's a part of, and I said these are this is the first thing people are going to hear from you, and you know people have certain judgments that they have. I said, how do you feel about that? And he said, well, I said, you know, if it helps one person, 
he said it's worth it. It's it's worth the risk of whatever people think. It's it's uh, it's the story of of what God has done in my life, and so it's worth it. And so we just want to say thank you, thank you for sharing the story. Giftings are really in the church. That's what he grew up in. He's several churches of around the country have been inviting him in to do some consulting and some things behind the scenes, and and uh, it's uh, it's it's where his gift lies. And we believe in restoration that that means that that uh, those things come alive again and in their proper context can be utilized again. And so he's part of our community. We've actually been. Uh, visiting a little bit about some gifts that he has that um, on a consulting basis, kind of behind the scenes that can even help us here at Sanctuary. And so so he's going to be around. And we just want you to know we believe in you. Um, we are are proud of you. Um, we are we are confident in the work that God's doing in your life. And, and, and we're part of this and you're part of us. And you can't get away from us. And uh, uh, we're in this together now. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 